Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites Basics, the paediatric podcast aimed at healthcare students or anyone in need of a refresher of common paediatric conditions. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the founders of Dragon Bites. Our Dragon Bites Basics episodes are hosted by local medical students who discuss paediatric topics with trainee paediatricians from Wales. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone that this is an introductory podcast and not meant to replace your regular revision. Bear in mind that practice will change depending on the locality and as new evidence comes to light. This week we're going to be discussing intersusception. Emily Jenkinson, a medical student from Swansea University, discusses this topic with Ms Carmen Francis, a trainee surgeon with an interest in paediatric surgery. Anyway, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites Basics with me, Emily, a medical student from Swansea University. Today we're joined by Miss Carmen Francis, who's just finished her core surgical training with a special interest in paediatric surgery. And she's kindly agreed to talk to us today about the acute abdomen focusing on intersusception. Hi, Carmen. Hi, good to join you in the podcast. Oh, thank you. So recently I've just been reading around intersusception and from my understanding, it seems to occur when part of the intestine slides into another part and does that then block the food and fluid from passing through is that I suppose the basic yes so it's 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 a um it's a obstruction and basically it's when there's um invagination okay f- of the bowel into another part of the bowel so it's usually the proximal bowel into the distal bowel and there are areas of the bowel um that is more likely to have uh invaginate or have intersusception and usually the most common area or the common lead point where you can have intersusception is called the idiocolic area and uh, in about 80% it's that area that has intersusception. Okay and is there any reason why it occurs or does it just happen I suppose? Um, There is lots of etiology of why it occurs and um, some is down to the reason of viral illness so it's most likely in spring and summer so um, usually following a viral illness it's it's thought to occur and that's because of the hypertrophy of the pious patches um, and that's within the bowel wall. Yeah. Um, sometimes also there's a pathological suspicion of a lead point, and this can be because of a Meckel's diverticulum, or it can be a polyp, appendix, or even more sinister, maybe a tumour. Okay. All of these are lead points that allow the proximal bowel to invaginate into the distal bowel. Um, and also with other... Um, also with other conditions such as um, HSP and with hemorrhage or duplication cyst, all of these can also lead to intersusception. Not forgetting a foreign body, yeah. <laughs> which is often in kids. So that can also that's also can offer as a lead point. And sometimes after vaccination, okay, after a child has had vaccination, it can uh, lead to intersusception as well. Um, Usually it's in the first year of life, but interception should not be ruled out in any age, to be honest. Um, but it is usually in the first year of life. Okay, that's quite interesting. So from my reading, my understanding is a child would present and it's the typical, they're drawing their knees into their um, stomach. Is that one of the main features you see? And is there anything else that you'd look for? Yeah, so um, what everyone, you know, when I'm um, asked to see a child um, or a baby with interception, it's usually they've passed some red currant jelly. Okay. And which is basically blood stained mucus. Yeah. 
and um, they're drawing up their legs and this hysterical kind of crying and there's um, they're in a lot of pain so that sometimes they uh, appear quite um, uh, they have pallor so they appear very whitish or faint and um, it's usually followed from non-bilious vomiting to bilious vomiting okay well um, but this actually only occurs in maybe 50% of the patients. Again, with all surgical presentations in infants and children, it can be atypical. So there are periods where it, the bowel can invaginate and then um, not be invaginated. So they, the baby can be very well and then not well and then well and then not well. And this is because there's episodes in between where the bowel is um, uh, has been reduced. It's reduced automatically by itself. Yeah. Um, Another sign, which I've never seen across myself, but obviously it's in the textbooks and obviously many junior doctors and medical students will know, is a sausage-shaped sign. Mm-hmm. And that's the right side of the abdomen. Um, and that's where you'll have the invagination. And also sometimes the, the lower quadrant um, seem, feels very empty. And that's because a mm-hmm. lot of the bowel has invaginated in. So the, a lot of the proximal bowel has invaginated into the distal part. And that is something called the dance sign. So that's a sign that you might not have heard of, but that's when mm-hmm. the right lower quadrant um, of the abdomen feels very empty. Okay. So when you're palpating, it would feel just quite different to the left side. Yeah. And that's dance sign? Sorry? And what dance sign was that? Yeah, dance as in dancing, but dance yeah. sign. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, I think that's definitely a new sign for me. That's yeah. gonna be something good. Um, okay, so I suppose other than that, so once you've got a baby presenting or a child presenting like that, are there any then tests you'd go on to do? Yes, so um, obviously a good clinical history and invest and um, examination, but also investigation that we use thoroughly is an ultrasound. Okay. And this is to see a target lesion or a target sign. Um, and you can confirm this with um, an ultrasound. Um, and that target sign is actually like a bullseye target showing the proximal bowel invaginating into the distal bowel. You can also have an abdominal x-ray and um, this can show like a right-sided mass or basically small bowel obstruction. And sometimes if there's perforation, there's free air on board. And please to all uh, to all junior doctors and medical students, if there is perforation seen in one of these, you should alert your surgical registrar because you need to have immediate management then. Yeah. Okay. So first line um, would be you'd go to the ultrasound, but potentially also do an x-ray. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. And then if you see any, uh, alert your registrar straight away. Your registrar, yes. Because obviously um, the management of it as we start with any uh, surgical management is first of all, uh, fluid resuscitation. So yeah. if, if the patient is shocked and usually these patients are shocked, so it should be fluid resuscitation at usually 20 mils per kilogram, but obviously follow your local guidelines. And then we try and attempt. Uh, so this is the first line. We do not <laughs> think we'd rush to surgery, but we do not. We hold off. I know it's for us to imagine that surgeons don't rush to surgery, but we don't at the beginning. Um, we actually go to the radiologist. <laughs> uh, we attempt hydrostatic, which means with water or pneumatic, which means with air reduction. Okay. And uh, they can do that, and it's at different pressures. And what it does, it basically reduces the bowel. Okay. 
can be attempted three times for up to three minutes. And again, different, uh, different trusts will have different protocols. Um, but if we fail with this, then, then it is the time for surgery and you can reduce by laparoscopic surgery. So you can reduce the interception laparoscopically or by open surgery. Okay. Okay. Brilliant. So first line is actually to go to the radiologist. Yes, it's good to our friendly radiologists. Uh, good. And then after that, to potentially take them into surgery if the radiologists have failed. Okay. Exactly. It's definitely something I didn't know. So that's always <laughs> another good handy tip. Um, so I suppose, are there any complications we should be aware of with interception? Yes. Yeah, so actually about 2 to 20% of interceptions, they, they have a recurrence. Okay. So you have to do repeated uh, reductions with... Um, with hydrostatic or pneumatic yeah and uh, some of them actually after having surgery they can obviously as with any surgical complications you can have adhesions surgical um small bowel obstruction so they can suffer with this and then obviously all the complications that come with adhesions and small bowel obstruction as well and that's usually a one percent uh in a year lifetime risk but Yes, the reoccurrence for interception is about 2 to 20%, so that's a little bit okay, higher. So if you have a lead point, as we talked about earlier, then it can be even higher, unless you okay. unless you obviously remove that lead point. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. All right. Um, so would you say, what are your, I suppose, main tips when looking out for interception? So if if you have a high clinical suspicion of it, so obviously the red currant jelly signs, you know, drawing up legs and like a sausage mass in the right side of the abdomen, then they're all good clinical features for uh, thinking it's interception. To get an ultrasound straight away, if there's a target sign, then you know it's interception. And uh, then you should alert your surgical registrars so we can act upon it immediately by uh, reducing it. So, and that's with, first of all, non-surgical methods. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. And do these children present at a certain age or can it be all ages or is it during the... It's usually, it's, um, they can occur at any age, but 60% of them is in the first year of life. And I think the peak, it's usually in the first year of life and the peak month is a about nine, nine months of age okay. and again uh like many other surgical pathologies it has a male predominance so this one okay. also has male predominance yeah and I suppose when taking a history is this quite a sudden onset or would it be it's a sudden onset it's, it's it's a sudden onset and as I said they can have periods of feeling better because obviously yeah. it reduces by itself and then periods again of um, hysterical crying and drawing up legs because obviously the bowel has invaginated again so it's a very sudden onset yeah okay so again a, f- a focus on having a good history to work out exactly what's going on and exactly. then if suspected go to an ultrasound look for that target sign and if you see that report to your surgical reg you will then try well refer to the radiologist hopefully for non-surgical treatment <laughs> and then hopefully um i suppose the child will be feeling a lot better and it is it quite a quick fix again? Do you see quite a quick turnaround? If they have surgery, it's a little bit longer, but once yeah. reduced by hydrostatic or pneumatic um, air reduction, it's it's a very quick fix. Oh, brilliant. Well, it sounds like all these uh, fixes with PEDS surgery are quite satisfying with a quick quick recovery. And, yeah. the, the recovery that they have compared to adults is very satisfying. Yeah. So, yes. That's always, always good to see. 
even if they present atypically, the results are very satisfying. Also. Yeah. Oh, that sounds, sounds very exciting. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's the main main points for interception. So thank you ever so much. Um, I know I've learned a lot from this and I'm sure our listeners have as well. So thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And I wanted to say thank you to both Emily and to Carmen for recording that episode for us. Please join us again next week where we'll be back with an episode of the main Dragon Bite series. This time it's going to be on thrombocytopenia. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.